0: Hi, I'm Issa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast, on the Ring of Podcast Network.
1: If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio,
2: a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the try Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon.
1: Guys, if you're ready for a new pair
2: of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. It is Thursday, June 1st. As this writer's strike enters its second month, it sometimes feels like the Guild has 12,000 spokespeople, all posting on social media and talking to whatever outlets will listen, including this one. We've heard a lot less of the studio and streamers' position on this labor impasse. That's strategic the top studio negotiator, Carol Lombardini, has instructed her members not to argue their case in the media. And whenever the top executives are asked about the strike at events, they usually say they support the writers, they hope they can make a deal, and by the way, we have plenty of great content to ride out this strike. But as I mentioned when I had the Guild leaders on the show, these issues aren't easy, and I am interested in the studio perspective on these talks. Thankfully, Gail Berman agreed to come on the show. Gail is a successful producer now, co-owns her company, The Jackal Group, and has been an EP on recently The Elvis Movie and Wednesday on Netflix. But she formerly ran both a film studio and a television network, the only woman to accomplish that feat, actually. In 2000, she was named president of entertainment at Fox Broadcasting and ran that network during an era when it launched 24, American Idol, my favorite, The O.C., tons more. Then she left TV and became president of Paramount Pictures for nearly two years. Gail's got a great view of the chaos and anxiety that has come to dominate Hollywood these days and the issues that led to this strike. She's actually not as gracious towards these companies as one might think, which begs the question, who is? So today, it's why the studios won't just pay the writers and a side of the strike you may not have considered. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right. We are here with Gail Berman, who, in addition to being a successful producer, you are one of the rare people in this business who has run a television network in addition to a film studio. So you are uniquely Position for today's topic. Welcome, first of all. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much. Nice, nice being here.
2: <laughs> we are at the Media in Montauk Convention, uh, conference in beautiful Montauk. We're looking out at the ocean right now. So it's a great day. It is an, it is a nice day. We're in a, we're in a good mood. So tell me what you think the industry that this strike is happening in. This was supposed to all be dealt with in 2020. When the business was in a very different place and these companies were sort of riding high on this peak TV, then the pandemic hit and they punted these issues for three years. Do you think if these issues had been debated and negotiated in 2020 that there would have been a strike? I don't. You don't think there would have been? I don't don't either.
0: I think that um, there was an opportunity then because clearer heads were prevailing, I think.
2: People well, people were, were doing well. People
0: were doing well. They were feeling good about where things were. Nobody felt like the air was going to get pricked out of it. And it would have been a
2: fight over money. And well, fights over money tend to get resolved. Yeah,
0: there are always fights about money. Let's face it. Every negotiation that goes on in Hollywood is a fight about money. But this is, this is much more profound than that. This is really the future of the creative part of the industry and how can young people sustain themselves in the long run? And I had the the good fortune of having a a definition of back end and I'd like to see that for young creators. I mean You don't want to see diminishing returns here. You'd like to see the next generation do as well or even better than your generation. And that's not happening.
2: I agree. But what I'd like to talk about with you is the other side, the studio position, because you've been in that chair and it's easy to say, just pay the writers. But it's not that easy, especially in this climate. And the argument that these studios and streamers make is that while That business was great for someone like you who came up in the 90s and the 2000s and was part of a television business that really doesn't exist these days. We have to make new models and we have to evolve. And these writers don't seem to be willing to evolve.
0: I don't see it that way at all. I understand from a studio perspective, the dogmatic approach that they don't see it at all. They see it. They're grown up people, too. They're worried. They really have a good reason to be worried, and I have looked at strikes in the past and said, "Really, you're going to strike about this?" Mm-hmm. I have. My husband being on the picket line while right. I was, your husband is a well, television you know, writer. Right, yes. While I was, uh, you know, coming in at five o'clock in the morning, so I didn't cross the picket. Line. Right. <laughs> but the issues here are really profound. There are educated people on both sides of this equation. And while it seems that it that there's one or two or three issues that come up in in, on a strike banner, the fact is that the fundamentals here are affecting everybody. Affects non-writing executive producers. It's affecting writers. It's affecting directors. And it's going to affect the talent.
2: And these are the issues we've talked about many times on this show, the the mini rooms where r- fewer writers are required, the different profit and residual definitions for streaming than are f- than for linear television. A lot of these more existential questions of whether the studios want to use AI to replace writers, all of that. Why then don't the studios make concessions here?
0: Well, I think they're going to make concessions ultimately but i also think if i put my studio hat on mm-hmm. for a moment they don't know where all of this is headed either they're nervous about that let's say you do agree to something about ai and then all of a sudden ai is something else. last earlier this week we found out ai was going to destroy the entire planet right. extinction level so, yeah so it it went from oh yeah it'll be a good development tool to it's going to make us an extinct population so Nobody knows where this all is headed. And so there's a bit of posturing, not a bit. There's a lot of posturing going on on that side saying, hey, you can't tie our hands. And that's understandable, too, because technology is moving forward and we can't pretend that it's not. We have to make caveats for the improvements here. And I'm I'm looking at them as improvements because I think that ultimately technology is a good thing.
2: But it it's un- it's comes, not preventable. It
0: comes at a cost, and let me tell you, the cost of doing six episodes after working for five years and getting six episodes—it's tough to justify the ROI on
2: that. Yeah, it, it is for me. Yeah, and you're a, you're a non-writing producer, and I'm a non-writing
0: yeah. producer. It's tough for me. Right, it's tough for a writer too.
2: Yeah, you you work on a project, maybe do free work, maybe do five drafts, then you get that coveted green light, and it's six episodes, and you're paid as if it's six episodes of a 24 episode series, but it's not.
0: But it's not. Yeah. So I come from a universe where 22 episodes is the norm when you're successful. And I want to put these success quotients into this conversation because a lot of what's going on in the talk about what's going on is, hey, everybody achieved the brass ring before. That is not true. Uh, no one ever had their show removed from circulation. That is not true. That is
2: definitely not true. I
0: made more of those phone calls in my career than I care to talk about.
2: Yeah, your show is canceled after four episodes, episodes, and it will never be shown anywhere. It can
0: be canceled after one episode.
2: And 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 even when the others are in the can.
0: That is correct. (laughs) So, I mean, the idea that that's somehow a new thing or absolutely... Unacceptable. Yeah, we're talking
2: about Disney removing shows from Hulu and Disney Plus. Warner has done the same on HBO Max. Yeah, there's a lot of uproar about that, but it's really nothing new. It's just that we have been taught over the past five to 10 years to expect that everything will always be available to us at any time whenever we want.
0: That is correct. I have to say that those people who are crying over this, that's a mistake. It should not be, in my mind, a part of this conversation. This has happened since the first days of television. If it's not happening, your show gets
2: removed. What about the success metric? Because that's a key thing in this negotiation that, that shows that our hits should be treated as hits like they once were. You are an EP on Wednesday, the Netflix series, which is a objectively, everybody knows it, a big hit. And yet the creators of, of that show and the producers are not rewarded more than they would be if it's a regular show. Well, I think show. this
0: is a really important point, Matt. And I actually do think that this is at the heart of everything, which is that success should bear success for the people involved. And I think when it doesn't, it creates really bad feelings. And you don't get super hits all the time. I've had a few of them in my career, and I've been fortunate enough to have that. And I'd like to see the next generation be fortunate enough to have, you know, I have a house up the road here, and it's called Malcolm's Landing. And I like to tell everybody it's called Malcolm's Landing for a reason, because Malcolm paid for it.
2: Patty Felker, the lawyer, likes to talk about her house as the house that Phil built because her client, Phil Rosenthal, created Everybody Loves Raymond, and that bought her that house.
0: It's not to pat myself on the back to say, oh, look what I have. It's much more about saying the new generation... The people who are working today should have the same opportunity that I had and be able to create a su- success metric for themselves where they too can have something that benefits their success and, their fa- and, and, and is a part of their family's success as well. So it's really, really important for studio executives and the AMPTP to recognize that we have to come up with a success model.
2: But put your studio hat on for a second, and why don't they do that? It opens up a big Pandora's box of data.
0: It certainly does, and and tech companies don't like sharing data. Uh, they love data. Everyone loves data. They talk about data like it's nonstop. They don't like to share it. But let me be clear about this: this is nothing new about this either. And what I mean by that is, yes, Nielsen told us when a show was successful, often not exactly accurate, but but told us this is a success. It was and universally this, accepted. Yes, it was a universal. There was a universal acceptance to uh, Nielsen numbers, but this situation is different than that. You have to know that if you were a person who won the brass ring, the studios weren't so forthcoming with you.
1: Yeah, you have to audit. Everyone
0: had to audit.
1: Yeah, Sometimes more sue. than one
0: time or sue two, three times. Yeah. And then sometimes people had to sue. And, you know, I remember the Bones case very well because I picked up Bones. So there was, was
2: litigation sh- from the creators of Bones against Fox because the argument was that they had licensed the show essentially to itself via Hulu, which was controlled by Fox and now Disney. And they shortchanged the creators, millions of dollars. Yes.
0: and they also uh, shortchanged him in the international markets. And what people didn't realize was that the international department of Fox was bringing David Boreanaz to Germany and various other countries around the world because the show was so successful and he was coming out and introducing the show and uh, shaking hands with people, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden he was told Well, there is no value to that. So when I say to you that there's nothing new about it, it's a different language. Same problem. Yeah.
2: Studios are bad actors, too, sometimes. From time to time. I've talked to an agent who I trust on this subject, and this agent was saying to me, be careful what you wish for. You want a success metric? you'll start to learn that a lot of these shows don't have any audience. And if you want the upside, you're going to have to take the downside. And at least these streamers are paying above market on the initial payments and you capture that and you don't have to take the risk of nobody watching.
0: I think that that's a really great point. And we have to understand that there are both sides of the coin as there have always been in the industry. There's really nothing terribly new about these arguments because they've been had before, but with a different technological bent, but also the opportunities to create a real life for yourself with 22 episodes, if you were lucky enough to get that, or staff for 22. This notion of mini rooms is really just, it's just kicking the can down the road.
2: This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, Daylight Saving Time is back. Wait, wasn't that a movie from 2009? Okay, anyway, I do love more hours of daylight. But if you're hiring, it really doesn't matter. Because even though it may feel as if your day is longer, it won't help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Once you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it to 100 plus job sites and then uses smart technology to find people with the skills and experience to match the position. So spring forward with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash town. Tap the banner to learn more. I want to talk a little bit about the money issue because you see a lot of these facts that I put air quotes around that the Writers Guild has been putting out about what it would cost these companies to Resolve the issues. You know, it would only cost Netflix, you know, a couple hundred million dollars to make the writers whole here. And by the way, all of their top executives are making more than that in their annual fee, in their annual salary. And there was a letter that the guild sent to the shareholders this past week, basically informing them and advocating for them not to approve their salaries until this is resolved. I I sort of roll my eyes a little bit at that because you can't really quantify. What these negotiations are actually going to deliver in terms of a dollar amount, right?
0: You can't. Um, you can say that we have created for our writers, or we've created for whoever the creators are going to be now, uh, as as the confluence of events are are starting to come together. Um, we've done better for you.
2: Wait, the, the studio with, argument.
0: Yeah, we have. Or, the, or
2: are you talking about the writer? I, argument? I'm talking about
0: both sides. Okay. Here. We, the studio, mm-hmm. has con- has stepped up and we are doing better for you. We've recognized the issues. We've come at it with a practical solutions, not, oh, we're just closing the door and none of these arguments are anything that we care about. And on the other side, the writers have to say, you know what? Studio executives have always been paid a lot of money. They've been paid a lot of money when my pilot never got picked up. They were paid a lot of money (laughs) when my pilot, when my pilot was never made. Yeah. And, it's a false argument to me. It's 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 a road that well, you know, if you look at the CEOs in the United States and how much money they I make, know. well, make,
2: media CEOs make more than the average. You can
0: make the uh, you can make the argument, but you know, I, I I choose not to. I don't think that that's the place to go here. Yeah, I think the place to go is fairness. Look to the future. How do we make this generation of creatives uh, feel that they can have real careers and really benefit? From putting five years into something and not have the ROI on it be, oh, this is the least money I've ever made in my whole yeah. life.
2: The notion that the Writers Guild is gonna somehow inform a shareholder of one of these companies that their executive is paid a lot of money, like, that's silly. They all know. Media CEOs have made a lot of money since the beginning of the media. Well, as long it, as yes. as long so, as I've been at it. But I actually think that the best argument for the writers is not necessarily the fairness argument that because that's an altruistic argument, ultimately, that they that you should be doing right by us.
0: No, I, I don't think it's altruistic. OK, I think you need to look at what we're doing in success. Yeah, see, that's okay? the
2: argument. The This is better for everybody. Yes. The argument that when you train these writers... You ultimately get a better product, not today, but in five years when that writer creates a well, show. So
0: you're sustaining a business then uh, in the long term model. And you have to be thinking, I recognize that Wall Street does not look beyond the next quarter. But the fact is that that is incredibly important to the future of the business. Co executive producers need to know how to run a show. That is to the, be- Norse to the benefit of companies. The future of creative And the satisfaction that creators feel about the work that they're doing inures to the benefit of of these corporations. So we have to understand that it's not a one-way street here. It is really important to cultivate and reward talent.
2: But you look at these stock prices, and these these companies are all struggling at this point. That's that's Nobody other than arguably Netflix has figured out the streaming model. Why should they be bending over backwards to increase their costs.
0: It's not bending over backwards. It's the wrong way to look at it in my eyes. It has to be looked at in the long term. And I get that that's not the way uh, the street looks at things. But,
2: But do you think the executives look at it that way? Well,
0: I think a lot of them do.
2: So why haven't they settled?
0: They're well, they're not ready to settle yet. <laughs> I mean, come on. They you know, you've got directors. Well, we're up in month next. two you of got, a strike. You've got actors it. up next. There's yeah. there this thing this thing could go on for five months. This is um, you know, it is my hope that the directors settle. Um, they usually do. Um in my lifetime they always have. I don't know where the actors stand. And there's a desire on the part of the unions to make the companies feel the pain. And I get that. But in the end, the only solution here is for both sides to compromise. And that is the right thing to do.
2: Where do they compromise? I know it's speculative, but where do you think the pressure points for the studios are?
0: I think they have to take a look at how to sustain through a short order. I think- What does that mean? It means- if you're only ordering six episodes, yeah. how can I make it easier for you to get your next gig? So it's not like all of a sudden they're going to turn around and make 22 episodes. We have to be realistic sure. about that. It's not their model. But they were also being highly restrictive in right. the rules around it. Right. Span so, protection. Exactly. Yes, yes. So, I feel that that is an area to to let people
2: get multiple jobs. Do not restrict them at all. You have to. That's all that's kind of happening already.
0: Well, it is. It is happening a little bit, but you have to also remember that's hard for creators. You know, you're in this over here and you got to you have to concentrate over here and then you're getting a show that's a genre show and you're doing a comedy. And it's it's not it's not that easy. But there has to be a lot more flexibility in that area. There has to be a lot more money in that area, too. Meaning
2: paying writers more. If you're only going to order six, you got to pay them double or something.
0: Well, I don't know if it's double, but it's certainly more than they're getting paid now. And there needs to be an opportunity for the showrunner to be able to say, I need a bigger staff here. And by the way, we used to have the same issues in linear television way back when, when, when we would give the writer a budget and say, this is your, this is your budget, you know, use it as you will, but this is your budget. And you go, I I can't staff for that budget. So there's nothing new about that. So there's a lot of issues here that are phrased differently, but they're, they're right. similar issues. You, what
2: about this mandatory staffing thing? Do you think that goes anywhere with the no, studios? I don't. I, I don't either. I think and that's the first thing it, to drop it's, off.
0: It's. You can't tell a company how to do that. That's just not practical. Look, you put it on the table. You ultimately walk away from that as an issue. That's okay. But I think there are other issues that really, really are much more important. And I get it. It looks good to the membership to say, hey, we've got a guarantee of eight writers on a staff. Well, that's never happened.
2: Are you envious ever at the people in these jobs now? You know, it's, it's been a little bit since you had them. The The job is very different today. It is running a movie different. studio, a television network. I, I know someone asked me last night, who even runs NBC right now? Who even runs Fox? These, these jobs used to be the pinnacle of the business. And that, I think, plays a role here.
0: I think it's a good point, Matt. Um, ultimately, there needs to be someone responsible. Like, you need to go... I'm gonna call so and so to get such and such done. A lot of the structures in the streaming market are these endless, as, as I describe them, these endless horizontal lines of executives. And there are three over here, and there are three over there. And should I pitch to these three, or should I pitch to this one of these three? Isn't it's a confusing setup? Um, it's confusing for me.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: I imagine for- and you're like
2: the ultimate insider. You know, I, you know these I mean, companies. it's confusing.
0: Yeah. Like. Mm, my my initial instinct is oh I'll call Bella you know uh, but mm-hmm. of course that's Bella not- Bella
2: is chief con- B- content B- officer right, now she has people working yeah, for her she's a you know, at Netflix she's, yeah.
0: she's she doesn't need me calling right. her I got to figure it out right. down here and um and that's my job and my responsibility but it's very difficult in in structures that keep reorging, there's so many reorgs. I, I literally have to say to people on my staff, is that person still working yeah, there? Yeah, I know. And I don't like that. I feel badly about that, but it's a confusing situation. I do like to understand where the buck stops in any structure. It makes it easier for me as a producer to navigate.
2: All right. So, last question When does this end? I know I hate when people ask me, I still stick with my September prediction. Um, Are you more optimistic or less optimistic than that?
0: Well, today, I'm I'm not so optimistic today because there's a lot of chatter today about the actors. And, you know, again, it's just chatter, all uh, posturing, you know, we we don't know, but it it certainly doesn't make me feel like, wow, this thing is is just heading for real resolution quickly. But I do want to reinforce that this is a generation of people that deserve to be able to make a living as creators. We need it. And uh, these companies need that to happen.
2: So do you think if the actors strike, that makes the strike overall go longer? Or do you think that puts such pressure yeah. on the studios that it gets right. them to the table? Because if the actors are on strike, everything shuts down.
0: Everything does shut down. I think for a while there, they're, they're going to let everyone sit.
2: The studios will.
0: Yes. And Even the
2: legacy studios that have these fall schedules well, that you know are going to be impacted—that's a
0: great point, Matt. They have a lot of reality television. Believe me, I know all. <laughs> the, I, I know all about that play. Yeah. Um, I feel like I was part of the creation of that play. And there are ways to sustain a fall season. Very true. There are ways to sustain a fall season. The advertisers don't like it, so there will be an end to this in sight for sure. But the bigger question that you're asking now is at what point do the interests of linear and cable television separate from the streaming services? And that is real.
2: Yeah. Also, if the actors go on strike, we start to see the impact on next summer's movies. And that's a big deal coming out of COVID where we're now seeing these movies that were pushed come out now. and, And if they start, if they have to delay movies for next summer that's a big blow to the entire theatrical it
0: industry. is and you know what nobody wants that nobody our business needs content it needs happy creators I I, I know I sound like uh, hey Gail did you ever work in this business <laughs> but uh the fact is it needs we need to be able to show this generation of young people that they too can make a living at this
2: all right well Gail Berman thanks very much for coming on the show appreciate thanks,
0: it Matt
2: All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig is also back. Welcome back, Craig. You had a nice week of brainwashing at Spotify headquarters in
1: Sweden. No brainwashing, Matt. How dare you? It was a lovely week in Sweden. (laughs) They got you. They definitely got you. (laughs) The power of music and podcasts is beautiful, Matt.
2: I'm sure you're changing the world for the better. Interestingly, Mm -hmm. you went to see the ABBA hologram show, not in Sweden, but in London. Give us your ranking on a scale of just pleasurable to euphoric.
1: If euphoric is a 10, I'm putting it, I'm giving it a nine. Really? Okay. Yeah. So it's in London and it's built a specific arena only for this ABBA hologram live show thing. And it was wonderful. They don't allow you to use your phone, which is great. So it just feels like, you know, it's kind of a recreation of a 1979 performance. It is as close to realistic as it can be before your brain actually just wouldn't work and not understand what's going on. So it looks real. There are moments where your brain is genuinely confused. It is so well done. The shadows, the, the depth of the people walking around on stage. If you squint, you don't think about it for a second. You're like, Those are, that's ABBA on stage in 1979. Wow. Amazing. It's, it's the future of concerts. It has to be. I don't know oh, how. Yeah,
2: there's going to be holograms for everyone. Rolling Stones, Tina Turner,
1: all of them. And the funny part is, is it's not that is unable to perform. It's just that they don't want to. Right. No, they're all live. Yeah. <laughs> they just put out a new <laughs> album. They just know that they can make more
2: money this way and don't have to actually do anything. Great gig! All right, we are talking box office today. Spider Man, are you excited for the new Spider Man animated movie?
1: Yeah, I never, I didn't see the first one in theaters. I saw it at home, and I loved it. And it seems like everybody loves these movies. They have a really high approval rating. My kid was watching this at like four or five years old. He's super excited for this one.
2: I think like fanboys are into it. The reviews pretty good across the Spider Verse is getting at what ninety five percent. And I'm in the tracking right now is about eighty five for the weekend which is, you know, much better than the original. It's like more than double the original. Uh, I'm going to take the over on this. I think it's got momentum. And I've seen a couple of early reports that suggest it could go as high as like 95, maybe 100. So I'm going to take the over on the 85 tracking for this.
1: Yeah, there's a freshness to these movies that feel differentiated from kind of traditional superhero movies. And it attracts people as old as your son and then all the way through adults. It's a really kind of a universal product.
2: Yeah, the Little Mermaid numbers are, in the U.S. at least, Uh, it's held pretty well this week, so it could take away some of that family audience, but I think it's enough of a different audience. Spider-Man skews a little bit more male, Little Mermaid is female, and I think they'll both be able to coexist this weekend. So I'll take the over, we'll see. I actually, I lost on the Little Mermaid last weekend because I, I picked the over on 120, and it came in just under that.
1: Right, it was like 117. I have a bone to pick with the Spider-Man titling. So this is called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Isn't the first one called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, the next one's called Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse. It's like a 70s horror movie. And then the other spider the the live-action Spider-Man, you're like, Spider-Man No Way Home, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man come back home like why are they all so because similar? they're meaningless i, I, have no idea which one's I mean which. the
2: original spider-man the uh sam raimi movies they were just called spider-man spider-man 2 and spider-man 3 so
1: eh, I, guess, I prefer that i
2: mean they, it doesn't matter we all know what it is it's spider-man 2 spider-man 3 this is spider-man 2 i mean it does, they just have to call it something i mean I, it doesn't like it doesn't tell you anything about the movie but who cares it's spider-man you're gonna go
1: I guess. Use a different phrase that differentiates the movie from the first one. I, people are just going to Google Spider-Man animated movie That is movie a too. hot
2: take that I guarantee you no studio executive will listen to. So congrats.
1: <laughs> All
2: right, that's the show for today. I want to thank Gail Berman, my guest. I want to thank producer Greg Horbeck. I want to thank our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week.